following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. This week's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. The faith of a Canaanite woman. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Aaron and it's my privilege to serve and lead here as the Vicar of St Nick's. Let me add my own welcome to you this morning as we come to consider God's word together. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to consider this passage together and wrestle with its meaning, send your Holy Spirit so that your word may ever be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. How do we deal with the troubling bits of the Bible? What are we meant to make or to do with those parts of the Bible that don't fit into our ready understanding of who God is and more importantly in the context of our reading this morning? of who Jesus is. The seven verses from Matthew's Gospel that Lydia has read to us this morning present us with a picture of Jesus which at first glance might give us a troubling pause for thought. A woman, a mother, comes to Jesus and asks him in desperation to heal her sick daughter. And even though by the end of this account, Jesus grants that request and the daughter is indeed healed, in between those two events which bookend our reading, we're presented with a picture of Jesus who by turns, it seems, is unresponsive, uncaring, or maybe even insulting in his response to the woman who comes to him. How then are we supposed to make 
any sense of this. This morning I want to offer two possible interpretations of our reading and to try to deal head-on with some of these difficult issues in the short time available to us today. But first, let's go through those verses, uh, go through our reading together to try and understand what's going on here in this exchange before then turning to how we might interpret them and finally what those interpretations might be saying to us today, this morning. So can I invite you, if you uh, don't already have one with you, to go and get a Bible and to have it open in front of you as we consider uh, this reading from Matthew's Gospel this morning. The setting for our reading takes place, uh, we're told in the opening verse, in the region of Tyre and Sidon. We're told in verse 21 that Jesus has withdrawn here, withdrawn to that place to get away from the crowds that had followed him after his feeding of the 5,000. And the place to where he withdraws is an area which is known for being the pagan badlands, for want of a better phrase, to Tyre and Sidon, two pagan cities where, perhaps unsurprisingly, Jesus encounters a Canaanite woman, or in the shorter version of the, this account, uh, provided in Mark chapter 7, uh, someone who's also referred to as a Syro-Phoenician woman. Now, despite not being a Jew, in verse 22 of our reading, the second verse of our reading today, the woman greets Jesus by referring to him both as Lord and as son of David. News about Jesus and his healing power has clearly reached Tyre and Sidon, and this woman comes to Jesus in reverence, acknowledging his power and addressing him using a title which acknowledges his identity as the Messiah. And this greeting is then followed by two requests. The first is to have mercy, and the second, a desperate request to heal her suffering daughter. And in response, Jesus first says nothing. As verse 23 puts it, he did not answer a word. We're not told why. We do not know why. Perhaps he walks on. Perhaps he stares into the middle distance. Jesus is silent. His disciples, interpreting this silence as rejection, come to him and ask him to send the woman away. But Jesus doesn't do that and instead replies at verse 24 that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, a term with which the disciples would have been familiar. It's the same phrase that Jesus uses in his words to them in Matthew chapter 10, in his instructions that he gives to them when he sends them out with the words, 
Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In verse 25 of our reading, the focus returns back to the woman who we're told returns and kneels before Jesus before uttering another request. Lord, help me, she says. And in return to that request, Jesus tells her it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In struggling to make sense of that response, many commentators have highlighted that the Greek word that Jesus uses here should be interpreted as puppy rather than the Greek word used for feral or wild dog. Now many of the commentators that I've read trying to deal with this seem to be doing it to soften or get round what we're reading here that Jesus uses a metaphor where the woman before him he compares to a dog and whether that's an Andrex fluffy puppy or a foaming at the mouth mongrel there's no getting away from the fact that the comparison is with an animal which the Jews considered to be unclean and that the comparison is at the very best less than flattering and at the very worst insulting and degrading, whichever way you cut it. And then we have the surprising response of the woman, who in verse 27 replies to Jesus not in the way that someone might on social media by calling him out for his use of derogatory language or poorly chosen metaphor, but who rather embraces the language accepts it and uses it to challenge Jesus. Yes, it is, Lord, she says, maintaining the language of her reverence for Jesus. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And finally, we come to verse 28, where Jesus affirms the woman. Woman, you have great faith and then grants her request. In Mark's account of this exchange, you can almost hear the wowness of Jesus' response to the woman's word. For such a reply, he says, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So what is going on in this text? What are we to make of this uncomfortable text that one preacher I heard uh, refer to as this cringe of an, an exchange. I want to consider two different ways of looking at this text and what each interpretation, two contrasting interpretations, has to say about two of the biggest questions that arise for me from this text. And those questions first 
What are we to make of Jesus' apparent change of mind in this encounter and his movement from saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, through then to granting the woman's request? And secondly, what are we to make of the language that Jesus uses towards the woman? How does this fit with our understanding of a loving and compassionate God? So the first of the two interpretations looking at those two questions is one that has grown up uh, in recent decades and has been labelled by some as something called the progressive critical approach or a progressive critical interpretation of the text. Now, according to this approach, the Jesus we encounter in this exchange is someone who is fully human and as such is compromised and flawed. And that's the only explanation available according to this interpretation for Jesus' treatment of the woman and his change of mind. This focus on the humanity of Jesus, Jesus fully human and fully divine, suggests that just as Jesus the man was born not knowing his timetables or not knowing language or carpentry and had to learn each of these as he grew, just as with any other human. Hence, in this interpretation, we meet a Jesus who is learning still and who, in this exchange with the Canaanite woman, Jesus learns from her, his exchange with her and is seen to change his mind as a result of her answer to his apparent initial refusal to heal her daughter. Now this uh, progressive critical interpretation also holds that Jesus' language towards the woman is to be understood from what is called an ethnocentric response. Uh, perhaps what we would say would be an Israel first response or approach, where the culturally conditioned Jesus, a first century Jew, treats the woman he meets in the same way other Jews would, uh, with Canaanites with whom Jews have been in conflict ever since the nation of Israel triumphed over the Canaanites after the Exodus. Indeed, one commentator has gone so far as to suggest that Jesus' response to the woman is rooted, and I quote, in a Jewish privilege which dehumanises her with prejudice, if not bigotry. Wow. Well, I've got a number of issues uh, with that particular interpretation in outline, but I'm going to keep it at this moment to just two. First, such an approach takes Jesus' humanity and I think places it above and over his divinity. <coughs> it's a neat point to make that Jesus uh, was born not knowing his timetables. But that doesn't quite translate uh, for me through to Jesus only discovering his compassion for non-Jewish people through a belated recognition that all people suffer and not just Jews through a meeting with this woman.
And one of the reasons for that is that it doesn't sit well with Jesus' earlier healing encounter with a Gentile in Matthew 8, where he heals the servant of a Roman centurion. In that exchange, Jesus' uh, faith that he finds in the centurion leads him to declare, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. So that's the first interpretation and some of my issues with it. The second interpretation of our reading this morning could be described as the inclusive, instructive approach. Now, according to this interpretation, the Jesus we encounter is not so much the human trying to figure out his mission, but rather the divine actor in an exchange which can be understood as but one scene in the whole narrative of the Gospel of Matthew, a journey from exclusivity to inclusivity, where this particular ex exchange is one where Jesus, the teacher, is seeking to instruct and test the faith of the woman before him. So in this interpretation, it's no accident that Jesus chooses to withdraw to Tyre and Sidon and to have an encounter with a Gentile woman. This fits within a gospel that begins with the genealogy of Jesus that includes by name the Gentile women of Rahab, who was herself a Canaanite woman, and Ruth. And a gospel that ends with the Great Commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations. In the middle of that gospel, we find ourselves with this encounter, where Jesus affirms not only his messianic role to the nation of Israel, but also the faith of a woman who sits outside of that people. It represents a movement away from the exclusivity of racial purity to be found in Israel, to the inclusivity of faith to be found in Roman centurions and desperate Canaanite mothers. So the suggestion that Jesus' role is limited to the lost sheep of Israel alone is dismissed by those such as the New Testament scholar R.T. Franz as wooden literalism, which ignores not only the exchange between Jesus and the woman, but also the rest of the gospel. But what about the metaphor and the language of being a dog and not giving the bread of the children to the dog? What does the inclusive instructive approach have to say about that? Again, the New Testament scholar R.T. France is helpful in suggesting that the language Jesus uses is deliberately provocative, not to insult, but to instruct. Uh, France writes that a good teacher may sometimes aim to draw out a pupil's best insight by deliberate challenge 
which does not necessarily represent the teacher's own view, but is said to elicit a response. It's the kind of situation we may suggest would usually be covered using the phrase devil's advocate, which seems entirely inappropriate here, given that we are talking about Jesus. Perhaps a more useful illustration is one provided by Jeff Ashley, who in his commentary on this passage is reminded of a scene from the film The Shawshank Redemption. Now those of you who may have seen that film may remember that there is uh, within the film an inmate called Tommy Williams, an inmate at Shawshank, who approaches Andy Dufresne, the main uh, protagonist, and asks for help in getting a high school qualification. Now Andy Dufresne has established a library at the prison to increase the learning opportunities for inmates exactly like Tommy. But he replies to Tommy, replies to the request by saying, I don't waste my time on losers, Tommy. Now it is possible to pause the film at that point and to conclude that Andy Dufresne is being judgmental and insulting to Tommy in calling him a loser. Or we could keep watching and go through the entire exchange and discover that Andy Dufresne uses the term to test Tommy's resolve. He wants to weigh Tommy's tenacity and the degree of his desire to complete the task ahead. Andy wants to help, but only if Tommy is truly willing to put in the effort. It's a test. So rather than being a put-down intended to insult and exclude, the metaphor of the children's bread being given to the dog is an invitation for the woman to respond in a way that turns exclusion into inclusion by means of faith alone. As R.T. France also writes on this, its function in the text is to act as a question, a test of faith, a statement of position which invites and receives a counter-proposal which gains Jesus's assent and carries the day. So, having considered these two contrasting interpretations of our reading this morning, uh, I want to end, you'll be pleased to hear, with my two possible takeaways uh, from this text as a whole. The first is a reminder that this whole encounter reminds us that in many ways when it comes to salvation, our own salvation, we are all outsiders by virtue of not being members of the nation of Israel and also through not being able to earn our salvation. And as outsiders who have received blessings which have come through another nation, through another people, how might that understanding inform our own actions? How might it inform, for instance, how we respond to outsiders who seek to come to these shores risking life and limb in search of safety and security, in search of the same blessings 
we have received, perhaps through accident of birth. How does the generosity of God's salvation, which comes to us as gift and not as right, help us in deciding how we might freely bless as those who have been blessed? The second is a reminder that in one sense we are each of us who come to God through Christ. We are dogs who have become children. We are no longer to be considered the feral wild mongrels roaming in packs, but rather before God children adopted by our Heavenly Father with a place at the table. This reading is fundamentally a reminder of the astonishing grace of God who looks upon sinners without any right or entitlement and places them at his table and says, come, eat, there is enough bread for all. This encounter is a reminder of that fundamental truth that it is only through the grace and love of God that we enter into a relationship with him. That salvation comes as gift. And our beginning must always start in a humble recognition of our own failures and brokenness, in which we are offered redemption and new life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.